Please don't let that be the intro. That's right, it's episode 30 of the Fans Unite Huddle is brought to you by Fantasy Six Sports, where anyone can play and everyone can win. It's your home for sports picks, trash talk, and a little bit of chirping from only the finest minds in social sports data. If you like the podcast, you know what to do by now. Get on iTunes, you know, mark us five stars, leave us a comment, let us know that you're listening. Uh, Positive feedback or negative feedback is always welcomed. My name is James Graham. I am your host, your moderator, and as always, the most terrible person in the building. And I am surrounded by some of the finest minds in social sports data. Neither too big nor too small. He is the appropriately sized poppy. It's Duncan McIntyre. Hey, what's going on, guys? And uh, as always, here to dazzle us with a wide array of wonderful things. Uh, He is just a wonderful young man. He's very nice. And, uh, you know, we know him as the international stats guru. It's John Ingleby. It's like the nicest intro I've ever gotten on this podcast. I'm going to tape that one and just play it to myself in the morning to pump myself up. New ringtone, eh? Positive affirmation, John. Positive affirmation. And then in the guest slot today, we are happy to welcome the sports editor of DailyHive.com. It's Rob the Hockey Guy. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. Gentlemen, then, you know, being that our guest is a hockey guy, Let's talk some hockey. Uh, game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs in the book. Well, that was something. What a weird game. Just a bizarre end score given how it set out. What with the shot disparity between the two teams. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone knew Nashville's defense would do a good job on, uh, on Pittsburgh, but I didn't think they'd be able to handle the four check quite as well as they did. Well, I mean, you would figure that, again, sort of in the same way that Ottawa went in, that you know, it's going to, you're going to have to play a tight defensive game uh, to end up uh, you know, shutting down the, uh, the high-scoring wingers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think Malkin said it best when he said the difference is this series, they're playing against four Eric Carlsons. Obviously, that was a bit of hyperbole, but I mean, the, the reality is that Nashville's D is just so mobile that they can counteract any four checks and they can break out the defensive zone so easily that i mean they get the puck moving i think uh the thing that probably shouldn't have surprised anyone who watched the last round was Rene giving up a couple uh more goals than we expected to see i mean he struggled at times against anaheim and uh, pittsburgh's offense is just on a whole other level was that a Rene lapse or a defensive lapse on the part of the preds well it's obviously a combination i mean eckholm on that one just put the puck into the back of his own net but uh, I don't know. I, I mean, giving up five goals on 12 shots, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. The goalie's to blame there. Also, too, the, the, I felt like the tipping point was when that uh, P.K. Subban goal got disallowed, really swung the momentum. I thought it really got under all the National Predators' uh, skin, and they didn't keep their composure, and you saw those two stupid penalties that they took. Uh, James Neal with the, the cross-jack, totally unnecessary <laughs> on Trevor Daly, right? So, I, I thought. I mean, I thought the whole thing with that game was that Nashville is incredibly unlucky, like start to finish. Um, you look at that first goal, the, the Subban um, disallowed goal. Um, whatever you think of the offside, you know, reviewing offsides, I, I happen to think it's a, a terrible rule. Um, I think everyone thinks it's a terrible rule. Yeah, right? Because, I mean, if, if you think back to how many times 
was this actually a problem where people were debating offside, you know, goals that were offside that were allowed to count? It, it was pretty rare. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think they went, and there wasn't really much of a problem to begin with, and then now they've gone and uncovered all of these extra goals uh, that are getting disallowed. And I don't think anybody thought that many goals were going offside. Like that goal last night, if that happened last year, nobody, it wouldn't have even been a controversial goal. It would have stood... We would have barely seen a replay. We might not have seen a replay at all. Um, or or if we did, it would be they got a lucky break. So well, that, that's on. part. That's, that's part happens. of the course, though. It's the it's the playoffs. So you got to find something to complain about. And in this case, it's stuff that we wouldn't really give a damn about during the regular season. Now every single little itty bitty thing is going to play a role. For sure, Mind uh, you, I agree. We could have done without the four or five minutes that it took them to oh, review so the thing. Oh, it's so brutal! So Batman said the other day that the review process is working exactly how they want. So I mean, it's going to stay at least next year. But. Well, Batman, yeah, Batman not admitting a problem. I mean, that's For sure. yeah. But um, I think you can even make a case that that goal should have still stood even after a video replay. I mean, they're making the case that his foot is off the ice. I don't know if you can say conclusively that his foot is off the ice on that one. I think. Nashville had a really, uh, you know, incredibly unlucky game. And if, if you look at not only that, but then the power play goal, um, they go down two men. I think that, that first penalty was a, was a slash on, I think it was a slash. They got called for a slash on Hornquist. I think most times that penalty is not called. Uh, I thought that was a bit soft. And then I thought James Neal, I mean, he gave a, a cross check. He deserved the penalty. I, sure. I, I'm glad they called it. But in... A lot of times you'll see NHL referees not make that second call when there's already a delayed penalty. Like, you kind of have to murder a guy to, to get called um, for the second penalty. And I think that's what Neil was banking on. Right. Um, so I think, <laughs> you know, um, and then, of course, the, the, the one off the shin pad uh, for Benino's first goal. Um, just completely bad luck for Nashville. And all of a sudden they're down 3 nothing, and that's a tough hole to dig out of. Another Canuck in the playoffs. <laughs> well, Performing, well. Yeah. Performing, Performing well. Performing well, too. Well, Benino's always been a clutch player. I mean, even when he was uh, in the San Jose organization for BU, for Boston University, I mean, I think he scored the Beanpot winning goal, if I remember correctly. Either way, he was clutch in their Frozen Four run. And he did the same thing for Anaheim, and obviously the Canucks had a bit more of an issue in the playoffs. So now he's back doing his old things. Do you fault uh, Peter Leviette uh, at all for... The lack of composure, maybe after the uh, you know the call, uh, the disallowed goal. Well, I, I and that trickling down to the players and some of the stuff we saw in the ice with the two penalties. Well, I think it's a bigger question. There is just does the Predators' lack of big game experience, like play, how big is of an X factor? Do you think is that going to be when you consider that that this is like daily? life now for the penguins it's like oh we're going to the playoffs yeah the preds are like okay it's game one of the finals we've never done this everyone's jacked like probably too jacked yeah i actually don't think they have any uh issues with that from my perspective all their young players i mean sure they haven't been at this level but man these guys performed amazingly so far in the playoffs why is it going to stop now because it's the stanley cup it's, sure it's the preconceived notion in your head sure but their game isn't like sorry i'm talking about some of the lesser uh, big name players their game isn't a high skill thing where if they're off a little bit uh, because they're feeling the pressure 
they're not going to perform. They get in on the forecheck and they create turnovers and they all have great releases. So, I mean, that doesn't go away with, with pressure. If anything, there's a bit more adrenaline. Sure, they might get over-eager and take a James Neal-esque penalty, uh, but that's the only way I see it biting them. How do you think they feel going into game two? Well, after uh, that performance and what Rob touched on about how unlucky they were, I think that they've got to be confident. If they take one on the road, they're, they're happy. Well, considering they're, they, they're going in the underdogs, I mean, what, last time I looked, I think there was like, you know, even just the money line was like 250, 275 on them. So, of course, you know, you, you, you want that one, at least. You can go in on it. Do, is it too early to, to make decisions and make picks? Do we, do we want to make a oh, short game to you? Oh, just generally, I mean, you know, on the back of the performance of both teams in game one, how many games are we going and who's going all the way? I think six. God, I, I don't want to say Nashville's going to win because I actually can't stand didn't, James Neal. But, but didn't, didn't you predict Nashville? No, I didn't. No, no, no. no. And I think everyone had Pittsburgh in five or six. Yeah, but I, I think I that might be getting podcast, revised yeah. towards six or seven now. Yeah, I think Nashville's got it in six. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, Pittsburgh in six beforehand, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville takes it. I, I think um, not having uh, Ryan Johansson, not having that big center, that's really going to hurt them. I think if, the, if he was still healthy, I think you could make a really great case uh, for Nashville just because you look at Pittsburgh's defense. It's yeah. so bad. Yeah, I mean, this, th- this would probably be the worst defense to ever win a Stanley Cup. It would be right up there with uh, Carolina in 2006. That's what I was thinking, yeah. yeah, that's kind of... all no names. But. Yeah, that's really the only team, I think, that's ever won a Cup without uh, one of those marquee top defensemen. Um, and, you know, Pittsburgh has Chris Letang, but he's injured, so... Yeah. Uh, to do it without, you know, without um, is is Ole, Ma- is Ole Mata getting there? Can we, you know, if he uh, if he keeps it up, can we considering he's like literally the only defenseman the Penguins have right now? <laughs> can we at least call him like a B grade guy, possibly going to be stepping up in the future? He's a legit top four defenseman, but um, you know, there's not a number one defenseman at all, like not even close on that on that roster right now. And I don't even think you could make a case that Ole Mata's yeah, number two. Hainsey's oh. getting heavy minutes. Who's screwed more? Right, inter, uh, because of injuries right now, do you think? Uh, the Preds or the Penguins? So, I mean, I got to say Pittsburgh is. I mean, Nashville, obviously losing Johansson, major blow. But their team game is strong enough to overcome that. Whereas I just think at some point this Pittsburgh defense is going to crack. It's, it's so bad. Normally I would say the team that, that loses the top defenseman, that's, that's the tougher blow. Um, but I just think Pittsburgh is a deeper team. I think they're, like, they're a better team. They have... Um, you know, they they still have more. They're I mean, their forwards are so good that I think they can overcome. Whereas Nashville, I don't think can afford to have much go wrong. And and you look at Nashville, and the big reason why they're they are where they are right now, uh, they haven't had a single injury on their blue line. I mean, you got your top four defensemen. It's also even their five and six defensemen have played every single playoff game. So you know, all six of their their D men. They've played every single game. It's kind of similar to, to L.A. when they won it the first, the yeah, first sure. year, kind of cruised through and stayed healthy. So I think that's a, that's a major, major reason why they're there. And not having Johansson, especially how good he was playing. I mean, he was really, uh, you know, a real catalyst for the Predators. 
But then, too, having all those uh, defensemen, it allows their coach to, you know, not really worry so much about the matchup against Malkin or Crosby line, right? Uh, things to feel good about for the Pittsburgh Penguins, though. Teams winning game one of the final have gone on to win the championship in 60 of 77 seasons. So Ouch. 78% of the time. Ouch. Uh, the last team uh, to win game one and lose was the 2011 Vancouver Canucks. Thanks for bringing that yeah, up. Yeah, I had to bring it up. Sorry, guys. Uh, but it's okay. We're going to talk about a bunch of Canucks things today, so... Perfect segue. Excellent transition. Now, it makes sense to be a bit more Vancouver-centric on this week's show, considering that we do have a Vancouver sports editor in the building. So let's talk some Canucks. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. I know he's just been hired, but who's getting fired first? Jim Benning or Travis Green, considering where we're at right now? I think that's a tough question. Management seems to like Benning a lot. I, it's hard to say. Hard to say that. I mean, we don't really have. There's not a lot of uh, a lot of a track record with Trevor Linden uh, as as president. Um, so he's never fired a general manager before. This is the only GM he's ever hired. So it's a little bit tricky to figure out how itchy the trigger finger is. Um, I think you could make a strong case that Green will outlast Benning. Because he has the four-year contract, and also he's coming in kind of in an easy situation. He's, he's taking over a team that's just admitted that they're going to rebuild. Uh, There's no know, expectation. Exactly. I mean, they've had two just horrific years. If, he, if Green has this team within, you know, still in the playoff conversation after the trade deadline, I mean, that's, that's an improvement. Uh, with that said, you know, lifespans of coaches are generally much shorter than general managers. So I think it's a, t- it's a tough question, but I think, I, I think if, if for Green to get fired, I think it would have to be a real tire fire of a season. Um, and if it's a real tire fire of a season, that's going to be... Wasn't that this past season? Well, that's what I mean. So, you know, when those seasons start to start adding up, I think uh, it may not even be Trevor Lynn. It could be ownership that, that tells Lyndon, look, we need a new general manager. Let's go. Given consideration, do you think that the Lyndon hiring was a good one? Because it's, it's, a, it's a public-facing decision. It's we're going to get the guy that everybody knows but may not have that. Uh, as you say, he's never fired a GM before. This is, he doesn't have the experience in the, uh, you know, the operation side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... Uh it really depends on on how much of a stamp he has on the team, how much, and I think that's the question that that, that people are maybe wondering a little bit is, who do we blame? Do we blame Jim Benning? Do we blame Trevor Linden? Who's actually making these decisions? It's it's almost like a co-general manager role. So when when they first brought on Trevor Linden, obviously, uh, you know, great PR move at the time. Um, you know, people were really angry at Gillis uh, when they got, you know, around the time they got rid of him. Remember, people were outside of Rogers Arena with signs saying "Fire Gillis." Um, so bringing in, you know, the most popular player in franchise history was a great PR move. But at the time, he, you know, he had no experience. So my opinion at that time was if Trevor Linden's coming in and he's going to be kind of that buffer between ownership and the general manager, then that's a great decision. You know, that's a great move because Linden knows hockey. You know, he, can, he, he knows enough to, to put the right guy in place. But if he's going to be responsible for making hockey moves... He, you know, he has experience as a player, and that's it. He, you know, he's never learned under another uh, manager or anything. Um, you know, like Steve Eiserman did, for instance. 
uh, in Detroit. So I think you want somebody with some experience in that in in the top hockey, uh, you know, decision making role. The NHL Las Vegas Experience um, Festival is coming up uh, next month. So I'm talking about not only the expansion draft, but the actual draft itself. Vancouver Canucks are in again at number five. Where are we going? <laughs> also, such garbage that we're at number five again. But hey, I'd like to just take the, a moment. That's to, the lotto. I'd just like to this take a moment weekly... to say, screw you, New Jersey. Yeah. Screw you. <laughs> See, I, I feel like I'm different from most uh, fans on, on, the, on, the, on the draft lottery because everybody started getting really upset about like, the results. They're like, oh, this is such an unfair system. Well, the system has been the same for two years. I don't know why. Like, like the odds, like you guys are odds guys. You know, you know this, right? The odds were there for everyone to see that it was possible for um, a team to get lucky in the, in the draft lottery. So, for sure. Um, and uh, to be honest, I think I think New Jersey getting the first pick is is fair. I mean, they they were, I think they finished with one point more than the Canucks last year. So um, them winning it, but it's really more that Philadelphia can move up uh, all the way crazy. to number two. That's the that's the crazy part is that a, a you know a decent team can be picking number two rather than a team that truly needs a franchise changing player. Yeah, but I mean the whole point was that you didn't have to tank to get first overall. Right. And, and so I guess that kind of worked. It worked. You can yeah. be kind yeah. of okay and, <laughs> and still, still get still first. Gets, yeah, exactly. So yeah. everybody but, likes it when you're middling. <laughs> but yeah, back to your question. Um, so what are they going to do at number five? So everybody knows the top two players are going one and two. And if they're not going one, two, they're going one, three. Um, yeah. So that's uh, you know the t- the top two centers. After that, it's a bit of a crapshoot. Though uh, I do think Hishier is going to be a winger in the NHL. I think he'll be a winger. But really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when you look at the Canucks' needs, they need defensemen. They need forwards. I mean, they need wingers too. But uh, they you know, use a goalie too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. And some pucks. <laughs> Um, well, considering that they went to the defense uh, last year, do you see it like if they really uh, are in love with someone, do you see them going back to the well again there? Or do you try and go for someone who can get in and maybe be like a second line center, a second line winger, like sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about, about this is uh, Jim Benning drops clues all the time on, on Vancouver Radio. And he dropped a clue uh, a few weeks ago uh, when he said that you know they're going to get a talented player and they were and they were really excited about some of the playmaking centers and power play defensemen available in the draft so that to me tells me that they're not that they don't have their eye on Gabe Velarde who's you know more of a you wouldn't consider him a playmaking center he's played wing but he can also play center um, that tells me that they're probably looking at uh, glass or middle stat um, to the to the skilled centers um, and if they don't go that way, they look like they're also, you know, looking at some of the top uh, defensemen. So there's three defensemen kind of at ranked, you know, kind of in Bob McKenzie's top list, um, and they could go any which way in that in that in, in that way. So um, that's uh, Heiskanen, Lilgren, and uh, Kale McCarr. So. Yeah. Um, and they've all kind of got their, their different um, different things that you can like about them or not. Uh, so Kale McCarr plays in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. 
um, which is a really low-level league, but he's lighting it up. So, And he's gotten comparisons to Carlson and Mitch Marner. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's getting ahead of yourself a little bit, but... But yeah, so so it's really it's really difficult to how do you you know the job job of a scout to to decipher who the better player is um, is incredibly difficult because you're comparing the Alberta Junior League with players that are playing you know pro level in Sweden, but you know or in, in Europe. Um, how do you compare that? So I, I think that's really difficult for them. Um, Lilgren is the, the the Swedish defenseman. He was ranked number two to begin the year, and he's dropped significantly. But again, have scouts overcompensated on him having a bit of a disappointing uh, injury plagued year? Um, and conversely, are they are they pumping up Heiskinen, who's the Finn uh, defenseman, who's risen the ranks? He's kind of gone the opposite of Lilgren. So. Um, yeah. So to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I don't. Yeah. I don't think Jim Benning knows. <laughs> well, you know what? I, and that's a, that's the thing is that I just hope they go with the best player available. The Canucks are not in a position right now where they can be choosy um, based on position. And you're picking 18 year old players. Uh, these players can take many many years to actually get to the NHL. And your need today. By the time this, a defenseman or center develops and is making an impact on your team, your need might be completely different. So you just take the best player available well, think, and figure it out from there. I think hockey fans also tend to forget that that development takes time. So unless you're going in with like the, you know, your your McDavid's and your Matthews, like these once in a generation kind of guys who can go in and immediately be slotted into play, um, the likelihood of your first round pick actually making the team, you know isn't exactly the greatest. Exactly. I, I think a lot of people want to make the NHL draft into the NBA draft or the NFL draft for these guys, um, you know, where teams are, are going, okay, well, we need, you know, we need a defensive, defensive lineman, so let's draft a defensive lineman. And that actually makes sense because he'll come in and play and, and help your team. Uh, it's so different in the NHL, I mean, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's, that's maybe the one thing that you can kind of criticize the Canucks for in the past, the last, you know, you know, since Jim Benning's taken over, is it? It looks like they've kind of reached for players. Um, it seemed like they kind of wanted a North American local boy, you know, tough winger like Jake Vertanen, and it seemed like they reached for him because they took uh, him over players that were higher ranked and had higher ceilings, like, like Ehlers Le- and Nylander. Yeah, exa- PR. exactly. PR over substance, or the need to do give good PR. Well, yeah, I guess so. And and then even last year, they were talking a lot about how they haven't taken a defenseman in ten years, and it was you know maybe time to take a defenseman. And then they take Yolevi over Kachuk, and Kachuk was ranked mm-hmm. higher by most people. So it, it kind of it looks like they're they're reaching for these players um, to fill a need. And when in reality, just take the best player available. I mean, if you look back at it now, if they didn't grab. Vertanen, they could have had Kachuk, that you know power forward that they were looking for. They could have had him a couple of years later. So, uh, I would completely ignore position, other than the other than the fact that defense and center are the most important positions on a hockey team. So if you're if you're loaded on defense and you're loaded with centers, that's usually a good thing. But I wouldn't say, oh, we've got enough defensemen, we need to take them forward, or vice versa. And look at the Stanley Cup Finals now. You've got a, a team with two of the best centers in the world, and then the team they're playing has 
four amazing defensemen. So it's kind of telling. So I think the one thing that the Canucks might not need to think about during this draft uh, is the position of goaltender, as there appears to be a bit of a logjam. So let's ask the question. Is Ryan Miller sticking around? Are they going to bring him back? Are they going to go with Markstrom at one and then uh, bring up some uh, fresh meat? Good question. Um, they've, they've gone on record to say that they're interested in bringing him back. Um, and I take him at face value for that. Uh, what I'd be interested in is if Miller doesn't want to come back or you know, if he wants more money or, or whatnot, where is he going to go? Um, his, you know, he's got a young kid and, and a wife that, that live in Los Angeles. Uh, she's a Hollywood actress, so she's not really interested in relocating. A big reason why he came to Vancouver in the first place is to be on the West Coast, cl- close to L.A. You know, if he doesn't return to Vancouver, where is he going to make more money? Because he could go and be a backup somewhere. He could be a backup in Anaheim. Um, you know, Jonathan Bernier didn't exactly look great in the playoffs. He'll back up in Anaheim. He'll back up in Los Angeles um, when, once Los Angeles has figured out who they want as their starting goaltender. Well, yeah, well, no, I mean, it's quick now, right? Because Bishop's gone to, to Dallas. But what are they going to, you know, how much are they willing to pay him? You know, if the Canucks are willing to pay him $3 million and, and kind of share the role with Jacob Markstrom, I, I think he jumps at it. Because I, I, I don't think he's going to make money, more money uh, anywhere else. With the possible exception, and this is a bit of an interesting one, of Las Vegas. Um, so Vegas has a, a negotiating window with, with uh, unrestricted free agents that they can take that before everyone else. So they could actually sign Ryan Miller, and that would count as their pick. That would be the Vancouver pick. In that the, would be uh, the Vancouver pick. So, I mean, unless they really are dying to get Lucas Pisa or the goalless Brendan Gauntz, you know, then maybe that's a that's a viable option. I mean, the only the only reason why I would think that that wouldn't happen is that there are a number of good goalies to take on other teams. So, um, yeah, we've already talked about Mark Andre Fleury at length. Oh, on the, this yeah, podcast, the uh, so. the Fleury Murray debate <laughs> of uh, who does well in the playoffs and will they and, and will then the backup end up getting uh, you know put up for uh, for availability. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I so I, I think I think Vegas is probably still a long shot. Uh, but yeah, if you go look, if you go down the list and say, well, okay, who who needs a starting goalie or even a one A one B goalie? Uh, there's not many. And Vancouver's probably the best fit family wise for Ryan Miller, unless he wants to take less money to go to a team that can win. Just seems to make no sense. I mean, Jim Benning's come out already publicly and said that he wants him back, but. What's the point? I mean, I don't see that there's any productivity I mean, if you're in full-blown full rebuild really. mode anyway, yeah. then it almost makes sense to just say, you know, screw it, let's go with Markstrom, and then let's bring, yeah, up, some, let's bring up the fresh meat that we can at least... You want your kids to grow up in a somewhat competitive environment. I mean, we saw what happened in Edmonton. Those teams just were so bad. Nobody thought they were going to win on any given night that those guys' development just totally stalled. I mean, Nugent Hopkins is now finally looking like a decent third-line center. He should have been a first-line center, at least a a very good second-line center. But, I mean, if you grow up in an environment where no one really cares if you win, I mean, that's tough to maintain that drive. You need to be an elite player. But do you think that really translates to more wins? Uh, having having Ryan Miller around, I mean, he and Markstrom basically performed at very similar levels yeah, for last sure. season. But you also need some. I mean, I don't know Miller. I don't know how good of a locker room presence he is. But you do want a veteran guy there. I mean, even for Markstrom, we haven't seen how he is if he shoulders a load for a full season. Um, but regardless, I mean, it's not whether you win every game; it's whether you lose every game by three, four goals. I mean, 
be in tight games, get experience playing in high-pressure situations, but don't lose every game by three goals, which I think uh, would, they would struggle not to do if Markstrom is their only goalie. No, uh, what I would say is if you're you know, a member of Team Tank and you want the Canucks to sink low on the standings, uh, the best way you can do that is to have terrible goaltending, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> so I, I think Miller does. Uh, I, I think he's, uh, especially getting a, another year older, I think he's uh, you know, probably on par with Markstrom. I think it's maybe a coin toss to see who's, who's the better goalie right now uh, or next season. Um, but you need two goalies because Markstrom's not playing 70 games, right? Dal- uh, Dallas does have some veteran Scandinavians available. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I I I really think um, I, I think if you if you're concerned with wins and losses, bringing back Miller makes a lot of sense. Um, but you can't do it for too many years. That's the thing. Thatcher Demko had a good rookie year in Utica, uh, so he's the goaltender of the future for the Canucks. But is he going to be ready in a year from now? He could be. They're just going to trade Demko to Carolina. Let's, let's be honest. It's Either just, way, he needs a good season in the AHL again, prove himself, totally. and then go. Yeah, you absolutely, uh, you absolutely need another goalie to, to fill this space this year. Um, but then the question is the year after. So, uh, you know, Miller's going to be wanting two years, I, I would imagine. I don't think he'd be thrilled to sign a one-year deal. Um, so that, I think that second year is really the big question. So if you sign him for a one-year deal, you know, reasonable money, you know, three million, three four million even, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but after, but if if you start getting into two-year deals worth four million a year, I think that starts to get a little bit crazy. Now speaking of the Canucks youth movement, uh, Jalen Chatfield. Uh, one of the latest signings, especially coming off of a successful Memorial Cup run. Considering the way the Canucks lineup is standing right now, uh, does the kid have any shot at actually making uh, opening day lineup? I heard somebody on, what was it, on Hockey Night in Canada? Yeah, Jeff Merrick. Or Jeff Merrick yeah. uh, said that, he, that he'd uh, have a chance to make it next year. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I've seen a lot of Jalen Chatfield. I don't play think any of, any of us have, <laughs> no. but, it's in, but it's more a case, I think it's more a case of, is the lineup currently in a state that would allow for that kind of out of nowhere uh, thing to happen yeah i mean i, I don't you know their defense is not a, a the most difficult one to crack in the, in the league by any means so i think that they're if he comes in and, and is outstanding um like a troy stetcher was last year i think it's possible uh i think f- from chatfield's pedigree um you know being a, you know an undrafted player playing in major junior um, and he's a couple years younger than Stetcher was at the beginning of the year. I think it would be highly unlikely to, that he'd be able to make it in his first year. Um, I think the jury's out that he would ever become an NHL player. So I think to to, to think that he's going to come in and, and challenge for a spot is is probably unlikely. But I mean, but like we say, I mean, this is not uh, you know this is not the Nashville Predators defense core that you're trying to crack it your way into. You hear that, John? <laughs> Your pot, the, there is, there's always a possibility. There's always a chance. You so could I, always hey, be a Vancouver Canuck. Never too late. From Statsguru to left winger. I think our next NHL hopeful is really uh, Big Poppies. I think kid, so? That, that's yeah. true. Big, he's yeah. big hey, he's got already, the size. Yeah. He's got the size to play defense already. So Another Eric Carlson in the making. This is a bit more of a Vancouver-centric episode, so we should probably talk a little MLS, too, as it is definitely the talk of the city right now. Whitecaps have a young man on their roster by the name of Alfonso Davies. Is this 
the guy that the Caps are looking to build around, need to need to build around. I mean, what I've seen of him for someone that young uh, is kind of astonishing that how, how good this kid is. He's good enough that uh, uh, Premier League clubs like Manchester United have been in touch. They kind of they want to poach this kid, get them into, in, into their systems already. Uh, every team needs a future. Is he the Whitecaps' future? Because of you know where MLS stands in in, in the world of of, of soccer, uh, you know it's it's not the top league, of course. So I think the goal with uh, Alfonso Davies, you know, being only 16 years old, uh, I think the 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 plan with him is to get a couple of years out of him, and then when he's 18, sell him off at, for the highest bidder, make it make a good couple of bucks, exactly, and then use that money to keep developing players. I, I think that's kind of the end game for the Vancouver Whitecaps. But I think the, the, the thing that you should be really excited about in terms of fu- for the future is he's a Canadian. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure, if, I don't know where Canada stands in, in uh, the FIFA rankings right now. I'm, I'm, I know it's in the hundreds. Uh, to have somebody that could be a, a future star uh, would be really exciting. And on top of that, if you look at the, the World Cup that Canada and the United States and Mexico look like they're a shoe-in to host, and conversely, Canada likely to get an automatic berth into the World Cup, Alfonso Davies would be 25 years old at that time, so right in the prime of his career. So I, I think that's kind of, uh, if you're looking to the future, and if you're, if you're not a Whitecaps fan and you're just a Canadian soccer fan, that's what to, to get excited about. Yeah, he still has to get citizenship too, though. He's only a permanent resident right now. Um, I'm sure if he's on the World Cup squad, I think they might fast-track his application, but I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Rob. Best-case scenario uh, for both himself and for the Whitecaps is he sticks around till he's 18 and then moves on. Um, not only will it cement the MLS and hopefully the Whitecaps as a great development league, uh, but it could have significant financial impact on the Whitecaps' future, especially if you put on a good sell-on fee clause in this guy's transfer. I mean, this could be huge for Vancouver. Uh, 108th. 108th. Uh, 108th. Who's above and below them? Uh, El Salvador at 107, and Jordan at 109. <laughs> uh, also ahead of us in the top 100, uh, Kazakhstan, Mozambique, and Togo. <laughs> there we go. I was waiting for a really funny uh, country name. Togo. That's <laughs> but thankfully, we are still in front of Madagascar and New Zealand. <laughs> are we ahead of New Zealand? Yes. I'm actually surprised by that. <laughs> Interesting. New Zealand, you know, the, the fun New Zealand uh, soccer trivia question. No, do tell. Yeah, they were the only team to not concede. A, I believe they were the only team to not oh, yeah, yeah. lose a game in the last World Cup. Yeah. Three straight zero zero draws. Yeah, and <laughs> everybody yeah. likes a tight defense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not think but that's yeah. where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think with with Al- Alfonso Davies, I mean, watching him play right now, I mean, he's got uh, incredible speed, um, incredible energy. Uh, he's you know he he really is one of those players that when he gets the ball, you know, you're waiting for something good to happen because he's, he's this, very electrifying. Does this not feel at all similar to? A few years ago, didn't we have this hype train before with a young kid's blazing speed in Kakuta Mane? Does it feel sort of familiar? So yes. Shouldn't we maybe pump the brakes on? But the he wasn't. Train? I mean, he wasn't 15 when he came in, though. I mean, like 50. That's I mean, true, the Whitecaps had a 15-year-old player playing professional games last year. That was, that's incredible. That right? still blows my mind. Yeah. It's just like that's a little weird. Now we're talking about essentially building the kid and then selling the kid. 
Um, if we're going to talk about spending money, uh, Whitecaps management have this tendency, they love their South Americans. Why are the Whitecaps and the MLS not just going in and spending gratuitous sums of money on European talent? Because the Europeans won't come here. Why would they? I mean, if they even play in Scandinavia, they have a lot more exposure to potentially moving on to a big European league. Why would you well, move I'm just thinking, as an example, it's like uh, um, Drogba going to Montreal, the talk of uh, Zlatan possibly going to uh, the soon-to-be-launched uh, LAFC. Sure. At that point, you're paying these guys crazy amounts of money. I mean, it, that's not going to build you a roster. And they're only going to go to big market teams like L.A. and New York, and they're not going to come to Vancouver. Yeah, if you offer them enough money, there's a, strong, there's a strong possibility there. But, I mean, you look at even the fact that, uh, you know, look at where Toronto is now on the back of having gone out and spent money on people like Altador and Michael Bradley. I, I think if the, if the Whitecaps could bring in just a recognizable name, a name that, you know, average sports fan on the street has heard of. Whether or not that player is, you know, a, a star anymore, whether he's past his prime or not, if they could bring in somebody like that, I think that would really capture the attention of Vancouver. I think right now, uh, after a disappointing season last year when they missed the playoffs, I think fans in Vancouver have kind of taken a, a bit of a half step back on, you know, when I, when I speak of the fans, not, not, you know, there's the diehard fans that are going no matter what, but that casual sports fan, I think is not really engaged with the white caps right now. And I think if they could get just a marquee player, I know Atiba Hutchinson, you know, you know, best, you know, arguably the best Canadian soccer player um, that we have in our, in, in Canada, he was rumored to be coming here for uh, earlier in the year. Uh, just even to get a name like that, would really do wonders, I think, to, to get people engaged, get people to pay attention. Um, and then from there, you know, of course, you've got you've to make the smart decisions to have a, have a good team on the pitch because having, you know, having a big name star and, and missing the playoffs again is not a recipe for success. Do you think it's that sort of thing that would actually sort of get them to a local level that would, help, that would at least meet the level of popularity that, say, the Canucks have? or the Lions have, or uh, is it going to take a little more than just that? Yeah, I, I, to beat the Canucks, is, it would be d- quite difficult. Yeah, you know, <laughs> one, one can dream. I, I, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's, uh, that's unlikely, but uh, I think in a lot of ways, they're, you know, depending on what you're, how you measure popularity, I think in a lot of ways, they've already passed the BC Lions. Um, I think with, with Whitecaps... It, it's a it's a bigger thing with young people. It's a bigger thing with the casual sports fan that lives in Yale Town that doesn't fall. They might not they might not watch the Whitecaps or, or read about the Whitecaps on television or, or you know online or newspapers or anything like that. But they want to go to the game on Saturday because it's a good time. Sure. And I think the Lions that's what they've really been missing. And the Lions kind of have that older fan base. Um, you know, and they're working to get that to get that back and, and get the younger fans engaged. Um, but I think right now in Vancouver, the Whitecaps are the sexier team, right? They're the, they're the te- they're the team that that young people are, are more interested in rather than the BC Lions as of right now. I would say it's all about the scarves, man. It's all about the scarves. <laughs> so there's currently three points separating fourth and seventh in the MLS Western Division. Now, we've seen this happen before where the Whitecaps have fought super hard 
uh, being just at that line and have not made the playoffs. Now, I know we're only maybe halfway through, but uh, are we going to see some clarity? Do you think think the Whitecaps could actually end up making the playoffs this year? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, no, I I think, uh, especially in recent weeks, they've they've looked really good. Um, And they're due to get Jordi Reyna back shortly, right? Yeah, and that's the other thing. They've They've had injury troubles, and they've fought through it. Um, they've, I think, I think, kind of being in that Concacaf Champions League to start the season, I think, kind of threw them for for a loop. Consid- yeah, considering the amount of extra games, you think that might have worn a few guys out? Absolutely. I mean, I, personally, I think they ought to just kind of tank the Canadian champion. It, like, I mean, it sounds it sounds sounds bad. I, I I like the idea of all of these other championships and all these other you know kind of leagues that they're playing in. I know that's how it's done in the rest of the world. If you can't win the Premier League title, you got to win the FA Cup. Isn't that right, Arsene Wenger? <laughs> but that's the problem. I mean, the problem is winning MLS is easier than winning the the Champions League. You know, to, to beat one of these Mexican sides, as we saw, I mean, they're in a different league right now. I mean, hopefully that changes and the MLS will get better. And I think it's important um, overall to continue in these kinds of uh, championships. But selfishly, I think in the short term, what's the point of playing all these extra games? You just end up tiring out your squad and you're just kind of, you end up half-assing both, both competitions, I think. Money. <laughs> exactly, right? But I think money is great, but if, the, if you then end up missing the playoffs like the Whitecaps did last year, you come into this year and now you have fewer season tickets, I don't think you end up winning in the long term. So I, I think it's, I, I, I know why it's around, but I think it's kind of, one of these things that that ends up hurting a team like Vancouver. Moving on through the city of Vancouver, Daily Hive recently ran a really, really good piece of long-form writing on the Vancouver Grizzlies and specifically the thought that now may be the time for Vancouver to get another shot at the NBA. So roundtable, we've got a bunch of learned individuals here. Gentlemen, is it legit? Back it up. Should Vancouver get another NBA team at this stage? I think, I, I think so. I think we're about due. And I think the league's already shown with the Charlotte that they, they do like to right the wronged cities that they've left previously. So I think we've got a good shot at it. And we're probably second in line. Uh, uh, which I think is in line with your thinking as well from the article, Rob, behind yeah. Seattle. Yeah, so, I mean, this all this all kind of came out of, um, there was a report that uh, the NBA was looking into expanding by two teams, and they were looking at five cities. So Vancouver was one of the five. Uh, the other cities were Seattle, Las Vegas, uh, Mexico City, interestingly, and Louisville. Um, so I think when you look on that on that list, I, I think most people peg Vancouver's fifth on the list. Um, but I think there's a lot. Of, I think there's a case to be made for Vancouver. So um, I think clearly Seattle is, is number one. I mean that's a basketball market. All they need is a stadium, and they've got a guy willing to to build a stadium to bring the Sonics back to Seattle. So I think that's an obvious one. But after that, I think you know there are some question marks about Las Vegas. I think there's some question marks about Mexico City. Louisville as well. I think that you know you're going to a smaller market then as well. So I think there's a there's a there's a definitely a case to be made about bringing back basketball to Vancouver. And I think the biggest case to be made is that the first go around was run so poorly 
and they and, and problems compounded because of the Canadian dollar. Well, Stu Jackson isn't around <laughs> anymore, so just on that alone, that should almost drive people to want to have basketball come back. Well, that's exactly it. So I, I think you look at and we, you know, Vancouver was given five years to 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 make it work. You know that that's a pretty short run. So I, I think if they were given, if Vancouver was given more of a chance. Um, I think there's definitely a case to be made for it. And, and, and you know, in, in speaking with, uh, we spoke to Arthur Griffiths and Tom Manax, who's a, you know, a um, sports business analyst. They had no reservations about that it could work again in Vancouver. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, that's what, that was really the, the general point of the piece was, was to, to make the case for Vancouver. And I, th- and I think there is a case to be made more than most people want to admit, I would say. I think a, a new generation of fans, certainly a new level, of, essentially a change in economics that, uh, you know, your season ticket base is probably going to be different now as opposed to uh, what it was back then. Yeah, I think the climate's definitely changed. And also to the, I mean, the Raptors have kind of shown what it can be. So, uh, and they've sold out those uh, exhibition games that they've done here. So Absolutely. No, it's yeah. like anytime the Raptors have come through town, it's the, the demand has been voracious. It's been nuts. Yeah. I, I think that's one thing that, that young people in Vancouver really are into basketball. Uh, and much more so than I think in you know when the when the Grizzlies came here in 1995. Yeah, this is hockey um, town. Absolutely, there was no there was no appetite or no there was an appetite for for the NBA. People thought it was cool that we got it, but it's not like people were hoping and waiting for years to get an NBA team. It was kind of like oh we got an NBA team. You know, it was kind of probably like <laughs> NHL teams. You know, when Nashville got the Predators, I bet you it's a similar thing. It was like oh well, this is kind of neat. Yeah. And yeah, you know, like, oh, look at Nashville. And, you, and look yeah. at Nashville. So I, I think that the, the the biggest deterrent to coming to Vancouver is that the Canucks are already here, and is Vancouver big enough to support both the Canucks and a basketball team at the same time and do it well? Considering the amount of regional growth in that in the period since they left, hell yeah, yeah, exactly right. So I mean, I, I so I think there's there's a case to be made for sure. And I think there's definitely a cash incentive for the owners of of the league to to take on two new teams. I mean, there's like, well, considering how much money they're probably going to end up making off. Exactly. The expansion, yeah, the expansion fees. fees. Yeah. Which I think would probably be in the region of like 700 million to a billion dollars per team, which nets each owner around fifth, you know, North of 50 million. So, so the, the funniest, the funniest thing I, I, I saw in, in reaction to this piece, you know, we put it up on our Facebook page and uh, of course our, you know, the daily Five Facebook page can be uh, highly entertaining at times. And people were reacting as if I, we were asking like the city of Vancouver to pay for the team. Like, like people are gonna like taxpayers are gonna have to like pay money. People are like, we can't support a team. Are you crazy? And it was like, it, it was really funny in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> but if somebody else is gonna pay, why not? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. We are kicking off. Uh, I believe it's tonight. Actually, no, it's not tonight. It's Thursday, isn't it? Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Uh, game one of the NBA playoffs. It's the trilogy. Who gets to win? God, my uh, does anyone know? My, does I, I mean the my lines heart is are rooting? My heart is rooting for the Cavs me just too. because of KD, and I've been rooting against this team since KD, you know, traitorously moved over to his main competition in the West. So the lines are heavily favoring uh, the Warriors. Yeah, I think we're going seven. I think this is probably going to be a, a, a. I think it's going to be a long one. I hope so. I mean, I feel like that's the series that we all deserve at this point, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I can see kind of why people would be leaning towards the Warriors, though. This is a team that's added 
KD and removed Harrison Barnes, and they still took him right up to Game 7 last year. So Now, the Warriors have been ridiculously dominant in the playoffs uh, so far. How, do, how does LeBron defeat them, considering the, uh, the posse that he has with him? Well, I mean, the Cavs have been... I mean, I would say equally as dominant. Well, sure, they lost one game. Equally, they, they lost one game in there, but this is definitely it, twelve and it, zero it, versus it, eleven and one. It, it's been, uh, you know, sort of the smoothest sailing for two teams I've ever seen in the NBA uh, championships. So it's uh, questionable whether this is bad for basketball because that's been raised a lot recently with the easy time that the Warriors and Cavs have had getting to the finals. But. Well, I think it's been interesting to watch the surrounding players kind of step up their game. Like uh, Tristan Thompson, like the last person you would expect to really be showing his stuff, has turned into uh, a very important cog for the Cavaliers this year. For sure. Especially and, during and, the playoffs. Yeah, and particularly showed up in the, the Celtics series. John, are the uh, two best teams in the NBA playing in the finals bad for basketball? I mean, no, the two best teams should be playing in the finals, but the easy run that they had to get there shows, you know, that there is definitely, you know, it, a little bit of disparity in the parody, league right parody now. Parity ain't a thing. Yeah, if you don't have three superstars, you're going to struggle. This is the fewest games leading up to a finals ever in history, uh, 74 games total. I feel like uh, we just had a, almost a two-week break since the last round. Yeah, it's crazy. exactly, yeah. And the, the quality of the games has been lower, too, because there have been more blowouts than in years past. The uh, other, uh, So this year's margin, average margin of victory has been higher in, than in any other year except for last year, which also had the Cavs and Warriors stomping everyone. So, so it's been a bad playoffs then. So, but at the same time, we've had amazing series in there, right? We've had, like, the even in round one, the Bulls-Celtic series was fantastic until Rondo got hurt. Uh, the the Rockets and Thunder in round one was so also an I think exceptional Was- um, series. Washington and Atlanta probably didn't get the kind of love it deserved, considering how well it, uh, both teams played. Yeah, basically every series other than a series involving the Cavs and Warriors has been fantastic. Like we, you know, saw the, the uh, Spurs Rockets in round two was great as well. There've been a lot of great a lot of great games, but uh, none have involved the Cavs or Warriors to this point. So hopefully they finally have met their match and they'll we'll have a good series here. Are we going seven? You think? And who you got? Oh man, my heart, my heart says your heart. Se- your my heart, heart will says go- seven, and I want to say Cavs win in seven. Your heart will go but on. My my mind says Warriors in six. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing exactly 100 percent with you there, John. Yeah. Um, the only thing I do want to say though is, while the playoffs have been boring, I mean for for someone who's not really into the NBA as as I'm not, uh, it's been boring. The regular season's boring. It's all boring. But these last two finals and this upcoming one i'm going to watch every minute of it it's so exciting to see these two heavyweight teams duke it out now it's a become a best of three which is kind of unreal especially in a salary cap league uh this is this is amazing i'm so excited for the finals here. you find the clash of the titans concept a more appealing one for your viewing habits for sure yeah uh, maybe that's because I, I learned how to play that mobile game from you james just playing <laughs> clash of titans all day but it's it's been good it's Clash of the Clans, guys. Come on, get it right. If you're going to plug a game, you would plug know. the right one. You would know, yeah. John. Uh, but yeah, no, this, this series should be awesome. So definitely looking forward to it. 
There's talk that the Spurs are interested in establishing their own big three and uh, signing uh, Chris Paul when uh, he uh, officially goes up for a free agency uh, at the beginning of July. Uh, do you think uh, you know, a Kawhi, LaMarcus, CP3 trio is uh, going to be able to push them over the edge, uh, especially in a division where they're still going to end up going up against the Warriors, most likely, uh, in the Western Final anyway? I mean, I think it definitely gives him a shot. I mean, look at what Chris Paul did this this year in the playoffs on his own, doing the heavy lifting without Blake Griffin after he got hurt. Um, yeah, that definitely is a big three that could rival, you know, the Warriors and the Cavs. So, yeah, it's a move that, that I can would see. be great for basketball. <laughs> it would be. Then we'd have three teams competing. But it kind of weirdly sounds like an unPopovich, unspurs like move to go and sign a superstar player. So we'll. We'll see if it actually happens. I, maybe, I kinda, they, maybe they realize now that they can't compete with the Warriors with how they're currently set up. Well, so. Especially when you saw the drop in, I think, how uh, LaMarcus played uh, during the season. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's been sort of miscast there. Um, and two, I, I'm wondering how they'll have to be very creative with their salary cap in order to make it happen because they um, uh, Pau Gasol has a player option for $16 million, and that right there hogs a bunch of their cap. They were already going to have trouble re-signing Jonathan Simmons. Uh, so he would be somebody gone. will somebody will take Pow and trade, even if it's just a you know, some, yeah. To, he to might even possibly. renegotiate if you know CP3 is coming. Yeah, possibly exactly. That's how they have to get creative with it in order to make it work. But I'm sure, I'm sure a player like that would be more interested in more rings and a shot at a title. So okay, fun trivia question for you guys, not related to anything we've covered so far. That's okay. We're pretty much done here. Okay, Tiger Woods. We all know DUI, fell asleep at the wheel. What did he blow? What was his blood alcohol content? God, from uh, judging from the picture, I mean, like four, like a, like a four point, like four percent blood alcohol level. Uh, I'm gonna, I don't know, because I'm, I want to say like three point five four, but at the same time, he's actually stated, he's come out and said that uh, they found him passed out in his car, and it wasn't actually booze; it was yeah. a, uh, it was an adverse reaction uh, to prescription drugs. Yeah. So I'm gonna say he didn't blow any; he he, he blew zero. And the winner is James. Oh, the wow. results are in. you would you would do us with something like that. That's so dunk. <laughs> what what uh, prescription drugs was he? I don't know. Probably oh, okay. Viagra. Who knows? <laughs> Can you imagine? All right, Rob the hockey guy. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Sure, yeah. Check out the sports section on uh, dailyhive.com. If you're in Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, we're in all of those cities. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter uh, where I'm ranting and raving about all of the world's uh, news and sports uh, at Rob the Hockey Guy. Anything coming up that we should be uh, keeping an eye out for on the Hive? Yeah, well, I'm going to the draft in Chicago, the NHL draft. Um, So that's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll have a lot of stuff coming out of that. Uh, so that I can justify my trip. (laughs) (laughs) This has been episode 30 of the Fans Unite Huddle, brought to you by Fantasy 6 Sports, where anyone can play and anyone can win, not brought to you by anyone else. Uh, Shouts out to everyone behind the scenes. Uh, Shouts out to the guy currently in the gondola in Venice and his dog. You know who you are. We'll be back in two weeks, uh, but until then, you all know what to do by now. The stadium, it's closed.